0: So I want you to think with me for a second as we jump into the Word. Have you ever had an experience in life that was almost life-changing? An experience that would have changed your life had you done something about it. And so, you know, maybe you almost took that job or you almost took that risk or you almost asked her out. Uh, a moment where you almost had your life changed by an experience. I think about uh, several times in my own life. Um, one was from the first year of marriage. Sydney and I had been married about 10 months and one of our good friends, we've known him for a long time, super reputable guy, he calls and says, hey... We've just bought a huge plot of land and we have good reason to believe that under this plot of land is a huge oil field. And I wanna give you the opportunity to invest. We're gonna try to dig, uh, we're gonna try to drill, we're gonna try to find oil. And if we strike oil, you're never gonna have to work again. And so he showed us the graphs, they brought out the geologists, the scientists, I didn't know what any of it was, but we pretended. We looked at the graphs and Sydney and I prayed and to invest in this opportunity, it was gonna cost us essentially everything we had in our savings and our checking account, but we thought, this is worth it. So we, we emptied the bank account, we emptied the checking account, and for the next 15 days, they drilled uh, looking for oil. And I'll never forget, I'm 23 years old, I'm just dreaming about you know, what I'm gonna do with all this money. Um, Standing there at my job, I get a phone call from this guy. I run outside of my work because I wanted to be able to celebrate adequately. You know, I thought, I wanted to be able to let loose when he tells me he's covered in oil. And I'll, I'll never forget answering the phone and hearing his voice. He says, Dave, I've got good news and bad news. And I thought, uh-oh. Um, but because I'm, a uh, glass is half full, I thought maybe they found too much oil. You know, maybe I'm gonna be able to be too rich and too generous and, you know, uh, world is gonna be gone. What a problem, you know? And he said, I've got good news and bad news. And he says... The good news is we are more certain than ever that there's oil on this property. The bad news is we missed it. And we're gonna drill again. And we'd love for you and Sydney to have the opportunity to invest in that. And he could have asked us to invest $10, we didn't have it, we were absolutely broke. And that day we began learning the, the reality that it is not fun to become almost rich. It's not fun to be almost rich. Think about another moment in my life, in high school, junior year, our baseball teams, one game away from state, state championship, and here we are, we're down by one run in the bottom of the last inning, there's two people on base, I'm up to bat, two outs, I'm excited, I've had a good year. Pitcher throws the ball right down the middle and I absolutely crush it down the third base line and it's foul by three inches. And then the next pitch, he throws it right past me, strikes me out, the game is over, we lose the game, we don't go to state, my girlfriend dumps me, my parents disown me. And I, I learned like firsthand just how much it stinks to almost win the game. Or think about my, my wife, Sydney. You know, before she and I got married, she dated some amazing guys, never at the same time, but she dated some great guys, and it didn't work out for one reason or another. And so she got me, and she got to marry me, and she got to discover what it's like to almost be married to a great person, you know? And <laughs> she has me. And isn't it true that the almost moments of our lives are never satisfying? It's never fun to sit around and go, man, that time we almost took a risk. That time we almost took a job. That time I almost let go of sin. That time I almost, I almost, I almost. They do not write books about people who almost anything. They don't make movies about people who almost lived. And the world certainly does not take notice of Christians who are almost followers of Jesus Christ. The world never sits around and goes, man, they're almost, wow. Almost is never satisfying. And there's this moment in Mark chapter 10 where Jesus and his disciples are almost to Jerusalem. They're 30 miles away. It's a two day journey. They are almost to the place where Jesus is gonna be wrongfully arrested and brutally beaten and crucified. And it's here as they are almost near Jerusalem that Mark gives us a picture of this young man who comes up and I want you to notice this. This is one of the only times in the Bible where we're given a picture of someone who is almost changed by Jesus. He almost experiences the joy of life change. He almost experiences the joy of the adventure. He almost experiences the joy of being in Jesus's inner circle. But instead of experiencing the joy, he walks away sad. And Mark gives us this story, not to make us uncomfortable, and not just to create spectators. He doesn't give us this story so that we can have a window into this guy's soul. He gives us this story so it can function like a mirror for our own souls. And it's as if he says, be careful that you do not become almost followers of Jesus. The joy is in actually following. And he puts this story before us. I wanna start back and just let the story wash over us this morning. And I wanna caution you, be be careful of the ways in which you will try to escape these words of Jesus because there's this temptation to say, he's not talking to us. And because he's not talking to us, we can just observe but Mark's going, no, let these words read you. Don't you just read these words. And so Mark chapter 10, we're gonna start in verse 17. And I want these, this story to wash over us, to feel it, and to find the life that Jesus is inviting us to. Verse 17, it says, "'As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him "'and fell on his knees before him and said, "'Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?' "'Why do you call me good?' Jesus answered, "'No one is good except for God alone.'" You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And this is a beautiful moment in the story. Just imagine this rich young guy just wiping his head. He's like, I've done that all. Good, I haven't broken any of the biggies. And he keeps going, verse 20. He says, teacher, I declare all of these things I've kept since I was a boy. Now, if you grew up in church, you know the way this story goes, and our temptation is to hear the story of this rich young guy and to to kind of put him in a category that is different from us, but what Mark is trying to show us is this is the guy that we all want to be like. This is the girl that we all want to be like. This is the person that has everything you think you need in order to be happy, and the picture that you're seeing of him is he's still not fully happy. Have you ever been around somebody that was like so good, it just kind of made you sick at your stomach? Like everything they did was awesome. Like you love to love them and you love to hate them. I think about a friend of mine in high school who was, you know, all academic. He was all state in like three different sports. I kid you not, not making this up, but he was an underwear model for this like really popular brand that we all liked in high school. All the girls just thought he was super hot and we're like, man, we hate that guy. He's so, so awesome. We love to love him and we love to hate him because he was so good. Saying, here's the picture of this guy. This guy that runs up to Jesus is the very person that we are all working to become. He's successful, he's young, he has influence, he's even been chasing after God diligently his whole life. And Mark says, but I want to give you a gift. This person that you want to become still has a place that's lacking. And he comes to Jesus, and I want you to notice this. He comes to Jesus desperate. He says he runs to Jesus. In their culture, if you weren't a professional athlete, it was disgraceful and undignified for an adult male to run in public. But this guy has thrown all the rules out the window. He's like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I've got to get to Jesus. He comes to Jesus desperate. He comes to Jesus humble. He bows down on his knees. When is the last time you saw a person of influence bow down on their knees in public, asking someone to educate them. Can you imagine Donald Trump bowing down on his knees before President Obama saying, teach me, oh, wise one, you know? And it, it, he doesn't do it because being on your knees in humility is not the posture of successful people. He's desperate, he's humble, and he's real. This is like a guy that's just come out of an AA meeting. No more games, no more BS, not playing the game, stands before Jesus. Jesus, my whole life, I've done everything I know to do and there's something in me that's lacking and the beginning of this story is beautiful. Mark says, here's this guy and I don't want you to just look into his soul, I want you to use his life as a mirror to see your own. He falls before Jesus and Jesus says, here's what you need to do and he responds, I've done that all, what else? Verse 21, I don't know if you write in your Bibles, maybe one of the most important passages in all the scriptures that says, and Jesus looked at him and he loved him. I don't know if you, I don't know if you underline or circle in your Bibles. You should circle that word looked and circle that word loved. Because it's key. This word looked in the original language, it wasn't just the word to describe someone seeing another person physically. It literally meant to, to perceive or to know, to to see inside of, to understand. And here's what Mark is saying, he's saying, here Jesus is, Jesus, this 33-year-old homeless, nomadic, roaming preacher, this former carpenter from Nazareth, here is Jesus, this 33-year-old man, looking at another rich young ruler who's just a couple of years younger than him, and the first thing that Jesus wants this guy to know is that he understands him. Isn't it true that you can only receive advice from people whom you think understand you. So if you're a businesswoman, you only take advice from people that understand business. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you only take advice from people that have tried to raise kids and they know how hard it is. If you're a single guy struggling with your sexuality, you talk to people that have struggled with your sexuality. Why? Because you only receive words from people that actually understand you. I think one of the reasons we struggle to take the words of Jesus seriously is because we don't think he actually understands us. And Mark has given us a brilliant picture of Jesus, who is now a 33-year-old, poor, homeless, roaming, nomadic carpenter preacher, talking to this rich young ruler, and it's as if Mark is is inviting us to remember that before Jesus was poor, he was the richest of the rich, he was the king of the kings, he was the lord of the universe, He was the first rich young ruler sitting in heaven, everyone worshiping, surrounding him, loving him, knowing him, everything was at his disposal. And Jesus looks at this young man and says, listen, I know what it's like to be in your shoes. I know what it's like to have everything going for you. I know what it's like to be worshipped and adored. I know what it's like to be rich. And Jesus says, but I've gone on a journey that I'm inviting you to go on as well. Jesus is not looking at this young man getting ready to give him a spiritual hoop to jump through. He's not trying to teach him a lesson on simplicity. He's not trying to make this man a spiritual martyr. He's trying to set this man free to actually live. And he says, the way that you find life is you go on the journey that I've been on. And Mark says, Jesus looked at him, he, he understood him, he knew him. And look at the next part of verse 21, and he loved him. He loved him. He had affection for him. He, he cared for him. Like, have you ever had someone give you good advice that came off the the lips of someone that didn't love you? Man, to be understood and to be loved changes the game when someone shares something really hard with you. I think for so much of my life, here's my confession. I've read this story of the rich young ruler, and I've read it through the lens of condemnation. This man comes to Jesus eager and excited. Jesus, what do I need to do to know you better? And Jesus, in an old King James voice says, you need to leave thou's possessions behind and seek thy first sign kingdom. You know, just like this cold, like boring, religious jump through a hoop. But here's how I think it happened. This man comes up to Jesus. Jesus looks at him and he goes, oh, bro, I love you. You are so close to being fully alive. You are so close to tasting. They're, oh, you are so close. There's something that's weighing. Oh, I love you. I understand you. And he looks at him in verse 21. Keep going. He says, there's one thing that you lack. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor. Come and follow me. That's it. And we hear that and we're like. <gasps> She's like, you're so close. This is it. Sell, sell it all. Give to the poor. Come and follow me. I remember when I was 12 years old, one of my good friends, his dad invited me to go on this hiking adventure with their family, and they'd go on this uh, hiking and backpacking trip every year. I'd never done that before, so my parents took me to the sporting goods store. We bought this, like, awesome backpack. I bought everything on the list, loaded it up. We got there for the trip, and the first thing that my friend's dad did was he took all of our bags, and he put it on this little scale that he took out of his bathroom to see how much our bags would weigh. And he laid my bag down on top of the scale and he he goes, whoa, your bag is three times heavier than anybody else's bag. I'd never been hiking. I'd never packed a backpack before. didn't know what to do. And so in his love and his grace and his understanding, he sat down beside me and he started unpacking the bag. And he said, this is too heavy for you. You won't be able to go on the journey if you're trying to carry all this stuff. So he just took one thing out after another. You need this, you don't need this. Let's repack this. And my friend, his Father's words to me were not to teach me about simplicity. Weren't to shame me or teach me condemnation. He wanted me to go on the journey. He wanted me to be a part of what we were getting ready to experience on the mountain. And he knew that unless I let go of some of the things that were weighing me down, I'd never go on the adventure. And these words from Jesus to this rich young guy, it's not a universal statement. He doesn't tell every person he meets, sell everything that you have. But he knew that for this guy, This was the thing, this was the thing that was keeping him from really stepping in. This was the thing that was keeping him from really experiencing the life of God. This was the thing that was keeping him out. He said, let go of it. Come and follow me. Come have a front row seat to what God is getting ready to do in the world. In verse 22, look at verse 22. One of the saddest parts of scripture. says, when the man heard this, his face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. I think this is the only time in the Gospels where somebody comes to Jesus joyful and they leave him heartbroken. This man comes to Jesus like full of excitement, full of, man, Jesus, I'm ready to do anything. And Jesus says, this is it. And the guy says, not that. And he leaves in grief. And I, I I want you to see this, this is so important. This guy was minutes away from the adventure of a lifetime, and instead he walks away as an almost follower of Jesus. Heartbroken that Jesus wouldn't help him carry his idols up the mountain. Heartbroken that Jesus was unwilling to negotiate. The the problem is not that this man's view of his possessions was too big, it's that his view of Jesus was too small. And Jesus was going, there's more. Come on, come on, come on. Like have you ever been there, let's just stop for a minute like, hit timeout and hit time out. go, Have you ever been in one of those places where you knew, like in your heart, legitimately, you wanted more of God? I mean, you knew. you knew you wanted to know him more, you knew you, you wanted to love him more. And there, have you ever been in one of those seasons where you knew you wanted more of God, and so you've come to Jesus. Jesus, help me." And he says, "Dave, there's that relationship, man? The sexual immorality there, that doesn't honor me. You can't come into the kingdom like this. Hey, Dave, there's this bitterness you haven't let go of. It's gonna weigh you down as you try to follow me up the mountain. Hey, there's this love of possessions. There's this security that you found in your earthly job. There's this codependency that you found with your parents, whatever it may be. Have you ever been in one of those moments where you said, God, I will do anything I want to know? And he says, this is it and you go, oh, I can't do that. And what you're seeing here in Mark chapter 10 is a picture of a man who is experiencing the gracious conviction of God. He's been convicted. But I want you to hear this. Conviction without obedience will always lead us to grief. Conviction without obedience will always lead us to grief. We live in a culture that is addicted to conviction. We love challenging sermons. We love challenging books. We love inspiring documentaries. We love for our hearts to be pressed and challenged and stirred and moved. And I go, can you imagine what would happen if the American church was, was as obsessed with obedience as we are with conviction? If we said, God, whatever you have for us, we'll do it because we know it will lead us to life. And the truth is, every time in my life where I've been convicted by Jesus and have not walked in the subsequent obedience, it has always led to grief. Sometimes the grief has come instantly because I've kept walking in that sin and I felt the heartbreak and the pain and the shame. Sometimes the, the grief has come years later when I realize, man, I passed up an opportunity to have a front row seat to what God is doing. And although his grace is sufficient and although he can do amazing things in the days to come, I hate that I missed out on the opportunity to watch him move. And Mark who gives us this picture of this guy and says, do not be an almost follower of Jesus Christ. Now this is where I've been convicted. I'm just gonna let you into my heart. I feel like I'm reading you my prayer journal. Like Jesus has been stepping all over my toes all week. I go, Okay, God, what do I do with this? I don't want to be an almost follower. I know that. Not for my sake, not for the sake of my family, not for the sake of this church family. Like, I I don't want to be the guy that spends his whole life playing it safe, building up my wealth, playing the religious rules, and then still in the recesses of my heart wondering if God is as good and as real as he says he is. I don't want to be an almost follower. I don't want us to be an almost community. I have no desire to stand before Jesus one day and go, look at this amazing group. A few years ago, there were 12 of us, now there's 3,000 of us and we almost love you. We almost take you seriously. We almost think you're worth the bang and following and giving our lives for. I would rather be a community of 20 people than a community of 20,000 almost followers of Jesus. I don't wanna be an almost follower. I don't want us to be an almost community. And I wonder how many times this young man sat around drinking beers with his buddies going, hey, you remember that time I almost stepped into the kingdom. Don't you know his friends were sick of that story? Years later after Jesus raised from the dead and the movement had, hey, I was almost on that team. I was almost, I was almost, I was almost. Almost is never satisfying. And Jesus in the midst of this almost moment turns around and he looks at his followers and it's one of the most sobering straight talk moments in Jesus's short ministry career. He looks at them and we're gonna read through this very quickly but I want you to see this. He looks at them and he gives them a promise, a warning and a hope, okay? He looks at them and he gives them a promise, a warning, and a hope. And I think the words that he shares for them are words that he's sharing for us, okay? Are you guys uncomfortable yet? (laughs) I know I am as I read this. Verse 23, it says, Jesus turned and he looked at his disciples. He said, how hard is it for rich people to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at this. But Jesus said it again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and they said to each other, who then can be saved? And I love Jesus' response. He says, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And he keeps going. Then Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. This reminds me of my kids. You know, like when Micah will disobey, Jack will come in and say, I didn't do what Micah did. A little suck up, you know. And Peter's like, hey, that guy walked away in grief. We gave up everything for you, Lord. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Uh, I want you to hear the promise that he makes to him. He says, I'm telling you the truth. No one who has left their home or brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or fields for me in the gospel will fail. Listen to this. You won't believe these words. I don't believe them either. I want to believe them. But listen to what he says. He says... No one will fail to receive a 100 times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with the persecution, and in the age to come, which is eternal life. But many who are first will be last, the last will be first. I want you to see this very quickly. Jesus looks at his disciples in the midst of this almost moment, and he turns and he makes them this unbelievable promise. He says, anyone who is willing to leverage all of their lives for me and the gospel, you will see an unbelievable return on that investment. See, so often we think this is a story about what we're supposed to give up. This is not a story about what we're supposed to give up. This is a story about what God is trying to give us. But most of us never receive the blessing, the promise of what he's trying to give us because we can't trust him with what it is that he's asking us to give up. He says, here's the promise. If you will leverage the entirety of your life you will receive a 100-fold blessing in this life and in the next. I go, do any of us actually believe this? If I believed this, Dave and Sidney Clayton's life would look differently. It just would. If I believed Jesus was a good return on my investment, my life would look different than it does. That's the great conviction that God's been stirring up in me this week. I remember a few years ago, and my friend called me and said, hey, you have the chance to strike oil. Would you clear out your bank account for it? I'm like, yes opportunity for a big return. And Jesus comes to me and says, Dave, I want your time, I want your family, I want your relationships, I want your reputation, I want your job, I want your money, I want you to trust me with everything. And I go, Jesus, I just don't know if you can handle it. Here's 10%, don't mess it up. <laughs> if we're being honest, some of you are like, here's 3%, here's an occasional bone that I'll throw you. And Jesus, no. See, this rich young man wanted Jesus to adjust his life. Jesus wanted to carry his life. He wanted it all. And he says, there's a promise. And Jesus turns and looks at his disciples and says, this promise is for anyone that's interested in taking the kingdom of God this seriously. He gives a promise, but he goes on and he gives a warning. Keeps getting more uncomfortable. He says, how hard is it? for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. He said, I would rather shove a camel through the eye of a needle than try to get a rich person to take my word seriously. And if you're like me, as soon as I hear those words, I just instantly start dodging it. Now, I wanna be clear, okay? So if you've tuned me out, please hear this. This is not a universal command that Jesus gives to everybody. When people come to Jesus all throughout the gospels, he does not always ask them to sell all their possessions. So this is not a universal command. But if your heart is taking comfort in the reality that this is not a universal command, your heart is probably too tethered to your possessions. If you're quick to go, well, it's not universal, he doesn't call everybody, I would encourage you, just pause. <laughs> you know, it sounds like he's calling you. It sounds like he's trying to deal with you. You know, for most of my life I've kind of skirted these words of Jesus because I go, I'm not rich. <laughs> like I'm not rich, you know, and because you can always find somebody who's richer than you, right? And so as long as I can find somebody who's richer than me, it's I can read these words of Jesus and ignore them. The only time in America a group of Christians want to identify with the poor is when they're reading the story of the rich young ruler. It's the only time when everybody goes, I'm poor, you know. We never want to be poor until we read this story. The word that Jesus uses for rich here in Mark chapter 10 means to have more possessions than a person needs. And I go, if that is the definition of riches and not Donald Trump, oh my goodness, are we not all rich? Do you have an extra T-shirt that you don't need? Do you have more food than you can eat? Do you have more money than you know what to do with at times? 53% of the world lives on less than $2 a day, so if you lined up all seven billion people in a line, the poorest person in this room today is richer than half of them. So I want you to be clear as we're listening to this. I think Jesus is speaking to all of us. He understands us and he loves us. And here's what he's saying. He's not saying it's sinful to be rich. You've got to hear that. Every good thing is from God. Every possession is from God. It's not a sin to be rich. But he's saying, listen, when you're rich, there's this real temptation to not hear the words of Jesus clearly because your possessions are, have a hold on you that you think they don't have a hold on you? Have you ever noticed how secure you feel when your savings account is full? How joyful you feel, feel when you buy a new shirt or car or house? Have you ever noticed that your possessions or your lack thereof have this way of changing your emotional barometer? I'm not sure what's weirder, how rich we are, or how blinded we are to our own riches. And Jesus is not saying this in a mean and negative way. He looks at the disciples, he says, there is a promise, there is a blessing on the table for you. Please don't miss the blessing because of the stuff that God's given you. God has given you so much, please don't miss the blessing. Don't worship the blessing, does that make sense? He gives a promise, he gives a warning, and I love how he ends with hope. He turns to the disciples, and you, you can imagine this moment. They're just ready to throw in the towel. They're like, Who in the world then can be saved? Can you can hear them saying that, like, who, who can be saved? And Jesus says, With humans, this is impossible. But I'm not asking you to do this on your own strength. He's saying, With God, anything is possible. With humans, it's impossible for rich people to to hold the blessings of God and not worship them. It's impossible to have a blessing of God and not worship it in your own strength. But with God, it's possible to be blessed by God and to still worship him. With humans, it's it's impossible to let go of some of the baggage and the things in our lives that are keeping us from going on the journey. But with Jesus, it's possible. And Jesus says, listen, I'm not asking you to do this on your own. I'm asking you to do this with me. And he wasn't asking this guy to do it on his own. He's asking him to do it with him. I just wanna encourage you, I know these are tough, like hard, heart-stretching, life-challenging words, but, but I wanna challenge you this morning to really wrestle. Are you a follower of Jesus, or are you an almost follower of Jesus? And there is no or very little joy in being an almost follower. All week long I was going, okay, God, what is sitting that I do with this? I was really hoping God would give me like a great, simple answer and then I could stand up and share that with you in the midst of my teaching. Here's how we're living this out. You can keep asking me about this. Here's what I'm convinced of. Sydney and I have more stuff than we need. We don't know what to do with all of it. Sydney and I, even though we try to be generous, we are still tethered to our possessions in ways I don't wanna be, it's just real. I'm going, God, what do I do with it? How do we do this, okay? And he gave me three words. Maybe these three words will be helpful for you as you and your families and your community are wrestling with this this week. For some of you, it'll be possessions. Some of you, it'll be relationships. Some of you, it'll be something totally different. But I wanna give you three words. The the first word is come. The second word is listen. The third word is obey. Come, listen, obey. So what do you do this week? I, I think it starts, whether you're a Christian or not, just coming to Jesus. Desperate, honest, real, You can do this this morning as you're praying. You can do this in your friend group. You can do this with your family. You don't need any credentials to pray to God. Uh, Jesus Christ died on the cross and raised from the dead so you can talk to the Father. Um, So I wanna encourage you this week, set aside some real time to come to the Lord authentically and just ask him, Jesus, is there anything that's keeping me from living into your kingdom more joyfully? Is there anything that's keeping me from living in your kingdom more joyfully? Some of the ways that I've been wrestling with this all week, I'm going, okay, God, is there anything in addition to Jesus that I think I need in order to be happy, secure, and whole? So I think it starts with us coming to the Lord, honestly. Just search me, God. Second word that he gave me was to listen. How many times have you prayed to God, asked him a question, and then immediately left not expecting to hear anything? (laughs) It's been a lot of my prayer life, a lot of my prayer life. I'll ask you or say a bunch of things to you and don't expect you to say. Job 33, verse 14 says that God is always speaking, but people are rarely perceiving. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk a lot about how do you hear the voice of God. That's not for today, but we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. Here's what I know is if you will come to God desperate and authentic and humble and ask him to search your life, he will do it. And he will speak to you. It may be audible, it may be inaudible, it may be through the scriptures, it may be through a friend, it may be through nature through a circumstance, but you'll know it when he speaks. He will speak on his own time in his own way and it will always be to give you life. The first words that you hear out of your father's mouth may not be, hey, go sell everything you have. It may just be, hey, do you know that I love you and understand you? <laughs> do you know that I'm with you? So often before God will tell us to do something, he will remind us of what it is that he's already done and who he already is. I invite you to come to Jesus to listen with a sense of expectancy that he'll speak. Third word that he gave me was then to obey. And whatever he tells you, if he tells you to quit the job, if he tells you to sell the stuff, do it. If he tells you to to confess to your wife, do it. If he tells you to get rid of the emotional baggage, do it. If he tells you whatever it is that he calls you, whatever the one thing is, lean into it because he understands you and he loves you. I do not want to be an almost follower of Jesus. I do not want to be a community of almost followers of Jesus. (laughs) Can you imagine what would happen if every one of us walked out of here this day saying, this story is not a window into his soul, but it is a mirror for our own soul. And if we just said, God, we're going to get before you this week and we just want you to reveal anything that is keeping us from living joyfully into your kingdom. Do you trust that God is good enough to ask him a question like that? Can you imagine the ripple effect that would happen in this room, in this community, in our church, in this city? If we moved beyond the almost, let's move beyond the almost. Let's do it together. I'll pray for us and we'll take communion. Father.